Greetings, Highland Community Church. It's a good day. The scriptures say, today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So uh, it's a good day because of that. But it's also a good day because yesterday, on Wednesday, Governor Walls uh, loosened some of the restrictions that have been impacting us as a church. And so the elder board is working to create a plan by which we'd be able to come together in Bible studies and small groups, etc., here at the church. So we look forward to that. I also want to thank Peter, Pastor Peter, for his great Mother's Day message last week. I especially liked the reference to sharing the Word of God around dessert. That was a, that was a good take-home point for me and hopefully for you as parents as well. In addition to that, I want to thank Larry Hansen, who is doing some of the recording for us at the church, as well as Adam Tagaro, who is doing some mixing of the music. These guys are behind the scenes, but they're putting in a lot of hours. So we want to thank them for what they're doing. You know, I have to say that my days are just kind of running together. They just all feel the same. I don't know if it's Monday or Tuesday or Friday or Saturday. And so I found a solution to that. I've just determined that I'm going to call every day Blur's Day. That's just kind of what it is. It's just Blur's Day. And so if I go with that, I'll, I'll do a much better. Well, it's interesting. Uh, this stay-at-home order has created some interesting scenarios for people, such as, where do I go to get a haircut? And I'm one of those guys that needs a haircut. And so I've talked, chatted some other men who have said, where do I go to get a haircut? We can't wait until June for that to occur. Also saw something else, which I'm not sure if it's true, but I'll just pass this on to you. I've heard it said that online sales of PJs, pajamas, is up 140% since the pandemic began. So there's a lot of people that are going through all their pajamas because they don't have to get up and go to work. So interesting situation here during this time. Well, we look forward to the day which is getting closer in which we're going to be able to be together in person and share the joy of the Lord together. Until then, be well and uh, be safe and uh, love the Lord. Hello, Highland Community Church. I'm Carrie Linder. And I'm Sandy Linder. We can't wait to get together with you all again and worship in our new facility. Um, the verse I'd like to share with you today comes from Psalms. It says, you, God, are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. Amen. We love you all. We miss you all so much. Mm -hmm. We're looking forward to the day when we can share fellowship together and see each other face to face and maybe even hug one another. Um, that might be later, but it's coming. See you soon. Enjoy the sermon. We love you. Praise God. Bye, Highland. Come on, kids. We're going to do a video for Highland. Oh, hi, Highland. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I'm Kyle. And this is my wife, Christy. Um, and then we do have four kids around someplace. Uh, Jack, Cora, Mally, and Ozzy. Um, we're just uh, uh, happy to uh, be able to come in, in front of you and, and kind of tell us what's encouraging us lately. Um, maybe three or four weeks ago, uh, we were coming, I was coming home from work. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on in the news, a lot of things changing at work, um, and I noticed that there was a bunch of geese flying. Um, at that time, God kind of just uh, I brought to my attention, like, hey, the birds are coming back, the trees are greening, the grass is growing. Like, I'm still in control, the sun is coming up. Um, and so, those are little things that, like, God is... Uh, he's in control of the situation. He knows um, the end. He knows the middle. He knew the beginning. I'm going to read from Psalm 148, um, and that just kind of um, talks about how God is in control and how um, the earth and the animals and everything do cry out praises to him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. 
Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. So, uh, one of the last times that we gathered together, uh, um, I had mentioned um, in front of everybody that uh, I was really excited about being able to come together and worshiping at the new building, um, uh, worshiping corporately. Uh, that's the one thing that I think um, our family misses the one of the most, just seeing everybody um, and just worshiping our God uh, together. Um, a lot of times we sit in the back, so we get to see hands uh, praising, uh, which uh, that just fills my heart with so much joy seeing that um, as we worship. So uh, hopefully... Uh, you guys are all doing well, and uh, we can't wait to see you guys um, uh, up at the new building soon. Now, where'd our kids go? I have no idea. Ah! Uh, hey, guys. Surprise. 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 Bye, Highland. Bye.
With all creation I sing Praise to the King of Kings You are my everything And I will adore you Good morning, church. My name is Al Nagel. I'm one of the elders here at the church. And, um, hopefully it's a nice, beautiful day today. Um, I'm recording this a few days early, so I'm not sure. But um, anyway, we're excited to announce that soon we will be opening up for small groups. Um, we have some preparations for that. And so I would just ask any of the um, worship leaders or uh, small group leaders to keep in touch with the office as to when we can do that. We're, we have some things that we have to get in place first, and so we are working on that right now. And so I can't give you the exact date, but uh, after the 18th, um, we're legally able to do that, so we are gonna try and get that done as quickly as possible. So uh, stay, stay tuned for that. Uh, and that would be for groups 10 and under. And in, in addition to that, I just, you know, just want to encourage each of you to be reaching out to neighbors and, and friends and encouraging them at this time. Um, it's a challenging time for a lot of people. Um, I've heard some statistics of people that deal, deal with depression and all kinds of things that are, are uh, a cause of, of this event that we're going through and uh, people losing their jobs. So you know, please keep them in, in your prayer. Um, so with that, if you just, um, uh, join me in prayer. And, uh, so dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for each person, no matter where they are as they listen today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them, um, through the message. Lord, I, uh, I pray for their health and their safety. And, and Lord, I just pray that each of us would, recognize the need to take this time to to work for your agenda not our own lord we pray that we could reach out to those that are are hurting for various reasons and for those that don't know the lord that we could introduce them to you Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives and and how you use good times and bad times for your glory I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. We're going to take a brief picture tour today of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. We're going to make Larry work a little bit harder uh, with some pictures uh, during this message, so I'm glad he's as skilled as he is. So, first picture to you on the screen is an entrance uh, to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre there in Jerusalem. Uh, the church was completed in 335 AD. It's an old, old building. The church sits atop a site that tradition believes is where Jesus was crucified and buried. Now the care of the church uh, is shared by six different denominations. The entire edifice is carefully parceled into sections. There, there are some sections that are, are common for all six denominations, and then there are other parts which are, are controlled by a particular sect. And as a result of that, there is a set of very complicated rules that governs the transit rights of other groups as they want to go through the building. These six denominations have quite a history of arguing and disputing over the property. For example, the Coptic Church of Ethiopia lost its deed to the church in a fire. And as a result of that, they have been relegated to a rooftop presence by the other denominations. There, on the rooftop, its priests live in squalor and in sickness because they are exposed to the elements. And yet, these priests are too afraid to leave even the roof of the building for fear that the other groups would take control of the roof. Christianity Today reported this about the rooftop experience a couple of years ago. Chairs, iron bars, and fists flew on the roof of one of the most revered sites in Christianity the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. When the dust cleared, 
seven Ethiopian Orthodox monks and four Egyptian Coptic monks had been injured. The fight started when an Egyptian monk decided to move his chair into the shade, technically arguing the Ethiopians encroaching upon the latter's jurisdiction. The second picture is that of a man who was opening the doors to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The doors, locks, as well as hardware, uh, is very, very old, going back a thousand years. And over this past thousand years, there has developed quite a ritual in opening the doors so that people want to be there as the doors to this church are opened on a daily basis. Quite a, a ceremony. Also, these denominations fight over the opportunity to open the door. It became so cantankerous that the church had to give the keys that opened the door to a Muslim family because the Christians could not agree as to who should open the door. So they had to give it to a neutral party to ensure that these six Christian groups did not fight over that issue. The third picture shows an icon that is known as the immovable ladder. It is leaning as it does against an upper story window in the church. It is unclear which of the six denominations put the ladder there and who the ladder belongs to. In fact, it's uncertain as to why it is even there. However, the church or the, the, the ladder has now been there since 1757. Hundreds of years. That's when it was first documented to exist. Now the ladder today is subject to a, a status quo doctrine. It's a very official document that says that unless all six denominations agree as to what to do with the ladder, it cannot be moved. And so for several hundred years now, no one knows who the ladder belongs to, why it is there, but no one has the freedom to move it. Folks, you can't make this stuff up. So, on the site where the greatest expression of love for the entire world occurred is also the very spot where people argue over the pettiest of issues. These groups in Jerusalem desperately need the words of Paul in Philippians 1 verses 27 through chapter 2 and verse 4. Listen to what Paul says. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to suffer also for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. If, therefore, you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Did you hear that? Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So here's what Paul says to us in this passage of Scripture. Living in harmony brings joy. Now, one of the sources of joy in our lives is that of living in harmony. Now, harmony was an expectation of Roman colonies. Uh, the city of Philippi, where the church was planted, was a Roman colony. 
It was situated on a major Roman roadway. It was the leading city in that region. And so it was a political, military, and commercial center. Uh, because it was a Roman military colony, all of the inhabitants were considered citizens of the Roman Empire. To be an official Roman colony was a great honor and something for which to have considerable pride. So the Roman citizens here, they, they spoke Latin, they dressed in, in Latin costumes, they prided themselves in being an official Roman colony. Now, Rome was tolerant of many things, but the one thing for that they would not tolerate was civil unrest. These were the days of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And so it was expected that in every place where Rome ruled, that the city would live in harmony. That's a very important part of this book. So we come to chapter 3 and verse 20, and Paul builds upon this idea of citizenship. And he says in verse 20 of chapter 3, our citizenship, he's speaking to believers now, he's our citizenship. If you're a follower of Christ, you have citizenship in heaven. Did you get that? Our citizenship is in heaven. So Paul's argument is this. If harmony was expected of Roman colonies, how much more should harmony be expected if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God? That's Paul's focus here uh, in this book. And so in chapter 1 and verse 27, he, he gives this exhortation, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now when Paul talks about the, the lifestyle of a, of a Christian, the conduct of a Christian, he oftentimes uses the word such as to, to walk with Christ or to, to live in Christ. And that's the, the preferred uh, term that Paul uses. But here in Philippians, he uses a term that he doesn't use anywhere else. And this idea of conduct in verse 27 is an interesting Greek word. It is the word politeuo, from which we get our English word politics. In other words, Paul is saying that the behavior, the conduct of the Christians should be such that they are politicking as citizens of the kingdom of God. That's how they are to conduct themselves. Harmony, living in harmony, brings joy. This is a book about joy. It's woven through all four chapters. And yet within this book, there's also a major emphasis upon living in harmony. And throughout all four chapters, there's some very practical ways to live in harmony. We'll see them in just a few moments. A couple of years ago, I was in Kenya. I was there uh, on a mission trip. I was doing some training of pastors. And in the village that we were in, not only was there a church there we, where we did the training of pastors, but there was also an orphanage as well as a school. And one day while we were there, the boys in the orphanage were asked to go down to the well and to bring back pails of water. And so I happened to observe the boys as they're coming back from the errand. And uh, here's the picture on the screen of the boys as they come back with their full water buckets. Is that not just a great picture? Does it not make you smile? Does it not bring joy as you see these boys working together? The teamwork that they're expressing, you just smile. And you have a sense of joy when you see the harmony expressed in that picture. Harmony is important because it, it helps us. It helps us to stand against opposition from without. And that's Paul's emphasis in verses 27 to 30. He talks about, about standing together, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. 
And, and so he says, in order for you to stand against the opposition that comes from without, you need to live in harmony with one another. Now, it's good for us to remember that the church was planted in the context of, of, P, of Paul, excuse me, preaching, being arrested, flogged, and put in jail. That continues. And so the church that Paul is writing to is probably not experiencing outright persecution, but they are beginning to feel the pressure of the tension between being citizens of Philippi and being citizens of the kingdom of God. Because it was expected that, that people who were under the, the uh, control, the domain of Rome, that on an annual basis they would appear before the magistrates and they would utter this dictum, Caesar is Lord. Now, for those who were Christ followers, they began to realize that in all good conscience they could not say that because they acknowledged that Jesus is Lord. And as they would refuse to say Caesar is Lord, that was creating some pressure upon them. And increasingly, they were being seen as out of favor with, the, with Rome because of their allegiance to Christ. Now, bringing that out of the first century to our experience today, in my estimation, Christians in the USA are, are beginning to feel the pressure of secularism. Our civil liberties are, are being curtailed. Our faith is being marginalized. Our values and our morality are increasingly are being trampled upon. These pressures are only going to increase uh, in the future. Uh, our faith our loyalty to what the scriptures teach increasingly is going to be seen as being politically divisive. Our views on societal and moral issues will be considered judgmental and we will be considered intolerant and we can expect it to increase. The pressure will grow and grow because you see we struggle. We're citizens of the United States, but we have a greater citizenship to our God in heaven. And so what I am learning is this. For the person who does not identify with the church to become part of a, of a life group, to be part of a, of a community of faith, if he thinks or she thinks that they can live their faith out without a body, to care for them and to be in community with, they are simply going to be crushed by the pressure of the world around them. So Paul is very concerned that we live in harmony with one another so that we are able to stand against the opposition that is going to come from without. But in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he also says that that harmony is important because it helps us to stand against the dissension that sometimes comes from within the church. And as powerful as opposition from without is, dissension from within is equally powerful and, uh, and divisive. And in chapter 4, Paul very specifically calls out two women. And he says in chapter 4, verse 2, I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Someone has uh, humorously said that Euodius, we're reading her name is Odious, and Syntyche's real name is So Touchy. So you've got these two ladies, Odious and So Touchy, and they are having a significant personal conflict. They're at odds. There's more drama in their relationship than an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. These ladies are in spiritual leadership. They had worked alongside Paul. They said that they were contending with Paul for the gospel. But here, they're just plain contentious. And their conflict had spilled over into the life of the church and had become so serious that Paul needed to specify them in this letter. 
the impact it was having on the church was very, very significant. Now, the nature of their conflict is not known. Sometimes church conflict is theological. But I don't think that was the issue here because Paul would have addressed the theological difficulties that, if that had been the case. Sometimes, however, a conflict occurs because of philosophical or strategic reasons. We might call it ideology. And sometimes leaders in a church struggle to come together because of the fact that they can't agree upon the goals or the methodology to accomplish those goals. We, we see it in the form of uh, worship styles and how are we going to do Sunday school or life groups and uh, th those kinds of things. A third source of conflict is that of just the interpersonal relational conflict. And so uh, scholars seem to be fairly clear that this was not a theological conflict, but it was either an ideological, philosophical, or that of a personal relationship. One thing we do know, however, is that relational turmoil does rob us of our joy. There's just enough people pleaser in all of us than that we, when we are at odds with other people that are important to us, that it wears us out, it wears us down. It's difficult to sleep. We, we find our joy being stolen from us. Here's what I've learned over the years. People are porcupines. And the closer people get to you, the, the pricklier they are. And it's true at home, and it's also true in the church. And so I want you to, do, I want you to look to the person to your left and also to your right. And then I want you to say to them, I am a porcupine. Go ahead, do it, just right now. To the right and to the left. I am a porcupine. All right. All right, now, I want you to look at them again and say to them, both on the left and on the right, you are a porcupine. You are a porcupine. Yeah. Wow, feels good to say that, doesn't it? You know, during the recent stay-at-home orders that we've experienced, I think that we've all felt the pricks of those porcupines that we're living with. And so, if you think that happens in a home, just think about a church where there's so many personalities, so many issues, so many opinions, such a diversity of spiritual formation in people, and you put all of that together and you realize that you've got a virtual time bomb for relational conflict. So, how do we build harmony? How do we build harmony? Paul in this book gives us four steps, four ways for us to build harmony in our homes, in our groups, and even in our church. Here's the first step. It is to recognize common ground first. And so in chapter two and verse one, he says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, those are four conditional clauses. And the way it's constructed in the Greek language is that the, the answer to that question, if there is, and then he would say, yes, there absolutely is. So each of these statements is true. It is true for every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. It is even true of the person with whom we have the most conflict. You see, if I've been united with Christ and you have been united with Christ, that becomes common ground for us. If we have been comforted by his love, if I have been and you have been, there's another facet of common ground. If there is the Spirit of God living in me and the Spirit of God lives in you, there's another point of common ground. If we've experienced his tenderness and his compassion, there's another piece of common ground. And Paul says that these are the, the blocks on which we build the foundation of harmony. Now, I've learned this over the course of time, that there are groups, there are denominations and churches that, that want to add more and more blocks to that foundation. 
And so what I discovered is, is that the more blocks you put on, uh, on the foundation to, on which to have unity, what happens is that the tent becomes smaller and smaller. <clears throat> the more things you add by which there must be agreement, the smaller the tent of fellowship becomes. So he's concerned about putting too many things in place, adding too many things to the foundation. And Paul expands our understanding of unity by simply saying, there's the encouragement that comes from being in Christ. There's the fellowship of the Spirit. These are the crucial things that we need to acknowledge and to recognize common ground. Now in verse 2 he goes on and he says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. Here he moves beyond theological unity into what we would call missional unity. The idea here is that we are working together. Good coaches realize that in order for the team to be successful, that team needs to create some team goals. Team goals always transcend personal goals and personal statistics. And every player on that team is willing to relinquish his personal goals for the sake of what we want to do as a team. And that's what he's talking about here in, in, in chapter 2, that you should be like-minded, being uh, united in spirit and purpose, that we put our personal goals aside for the sake of what we want to do as a group. Effective churches have... Uh, have empowering mission statements and they bring other things in alignment with that there's a unity of spirit and purpose in addition to that when you see a team a leadership team in a church working together with this this unity of spirit and purpose it is so powerful it is so beautiful it's a great testimony to the lord's presence within that leadership team so the first step is to recognize common ground. There's a second action we take. It is this, to critique ourselves before we criticize others. Let me say that again. We critique ourselves before we criticize others. Paul says it negatively and positively in verses 3 and 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others as better than yourselves. What he's saying basically is <clears throat> stop being selfish. Stop pushing your own, uh, your own approach. Uh, watch yourself. Watch your, your countenance. Watch your words. Watch your attitude. And before you say something, have, have a filter that... that you put your words through that communicates love and concern and unity within the body. So critique yourself before criticizing others. Uh, the third step is to affirm God's work in others. You see, what happens is this. When we are close to other people, not only do we feel their quills, but we also see their gaps. In the old movie uh, Rocky, uh, the, the first one that came out, there's just a great line, uh, a great scene in, in the movie where uh, Rocky Balboa goes into a meat locker. And working in the meat locker is Adrian's brother. And the brother is concerned as to what is Rocky's interest and his uh, motivation for dating Adrienne. And uh, Rocky uh, answers that question by saying this. I don't know. Fills gaps, I guess. What's gaps? I don't know, gaps. She's got gaps, I got gaps. Together we fill gaps. I don't know. I love that because you know what? It's an acknowledgement that we all have gaps. Do we not? We all have gaps. And, and the tendency for us, 
is when we dialogue with people is to see their gaps. And we see their gaps rather than seeing God or seeing grace and trusting that God is going to do his work in that life in his timing and in his way and it's not my responsibility to usurp the role of God in developing those people. And so to affirm God's work in another person's life rather than to, to see the gaps is such a significant and challenging step for us to take. And finally, the, the fourth step is that of realizing that sometimes confrontation will be necessary. That's what Paul does in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And he's so diplomatic when he speaks to these ladies. He said, I I plead with Euodia, and then he repeats the word, and I plead with Syntyche. He is so diplomatic. He is very personal. He is very specific. He does not fault either lady, but he just simply says, I plead with you ladies to agree with each other in the Lord, to agree with each other. He says, I, I know that there's a lot of things on which you have different opinions, but enough of the differences it is now important for you to agree. And the only way you are going to agree is if you quit looking at your own position and you look to the Lord. And so he, he, he appeals to them, he, he confronts them, and then he adds in verse 3, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women. Help them. Oftentimes, uh, when a relational conflict has gone on, has not been resolved for, for some length of time, that there's a polarization that occurs. And in order for two polarized people to come back together, it's going to require other people to come alongside and to help them. And so sometimes confrontation and help from others will be necessary to live in harmony. Paul says, that's okay. It's okay. Practice this so that harmony continues to be a part of your life. The final picture I want to put up today is a picture in northern Israel of a town called Gamla. Gamla was in uh, Galilee and in the first century, uh, the, the, the Razorback Mountain and the valleys on either side of it were composed uh, primarily of, of Jewish people who were zealots. They were people who were opposed to the Roman invasion. They hated the, the Roman occupation of, of their land. And so what happened in a city uh, that, like this, <clears throat> there were about 9,000 people that lived in the valley and in the town. And so when danger came, the people who lived outside of the town would then come into the city and they would secure the walls. It was 67 AD when our Roman army under the uh, <clears throat> uh, rule of General Vespasian came into the land and he began to destroy the other cities. And after he had destroyed these unwalled cities, he came to Gamla. And he began to bombard the city. But the city was so well built, combined with the steep terrain, that Ves Vespasian was unable to break down the walls of the city. Until one day, a defeated soldier, Jewish soldier, from another local village came into Vespasian's camp. And he told him where the weakest part of the wall around the city was. And as a result of that information, Vespasian focused all of his catapults upon that weakest section of the wall and ultimately the wall was breached and the Roman soldiers came in. 9,000 Jewish people died in that battle. Gamla in the north was what Masada was in the south. The Romans killed 5,000 Jewish people, 4,000 committed suicide because they would rather die than face the brutality of the Roman army. Tragedy, 
that day. The tragedy occurred because there was one defeated, discouraged Jewish man who betrayed his brethren. He betrayed his brethren. And as a result, there was this catastrophic experience for those 9,000 people. It's a reminder to us that that harmony is so incredibly significant to remain faithful and loyal to the body, to love one another. Yes, there are gaps and there are prickly porcupines in our lives, but to live in harmony is incredibly significant. The alternative is to be defeated, to be all alone. To, to realize that others will be severely impacted by our failure to live in harmony. Ultimately, harmony is important because it communicates to the world that the God that we love is real. And so it's so important, Highland Community Church, that we live in harmony uh, in our homes, and in our groups, and ultimately as a church. Harmony will bring joy, and it will sustain us through this difficult pandemic. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. behind your regret and mistakes come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.
Lord, thank you for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for the entire world. His desire is that there would be people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation that would be a part of your family. Lord, thank you that you have brought us into your family. And Lord, we desire this day not to see the gaps in other people's lives, but rather to see evidence of your grace and to trust your good work in their lives. Father, it is true that there are occasions where we need to lovingly confront. But Lord, it is always in the context of love that we speak the truth. We thank you that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. And so, Lord, we pray that our relationships within the body of Christ, within our homes, would be marked by both truth and grace. And that, Lord, we would see and experience the joy of living in harmony with one another. We thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for the family, the extended family. And Lord, beautiful, beautiful pictures of your love for us and how we can experience, Lord, the community that you have within the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relationship. We love you. And thank you for your work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found.